Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. We're back with another episode of The Short Stacks, our shorter conversations with authors about their process and their books. I'm joined today by author Nana Kwame Ajebrenya, author of Friday Black, which is our pick for the Stacks Book Club this Wednesday, February 27th. As you know, The Stacks is a completely free show, and if you want to help be part of making this show happen every single week, I encourage you to check out joining the effort on Patreon. Patreon is a website where you contribute to the work we're doing on the show for as little as a dollar a month. Patreon allows for us to launch new content like these short stacks. The fun thing about Patreon is that you get perks in return for your generosity. My personal favorite perk is our virtual book club, where we meet to discuss The Stacks book club picks through video chat. It's a great way to connect with the awesome community of readers. If you're interested in being a part of the Stacks Pack community, go to patreon.com slash the stacks and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you prefer one-time contributions, check out paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Please do me a huge favor and rate and review the show. The word is building around the stacks and the more ratings and reviews we get, the more people we can reach, which means new exciting guests, better audio quality, and more giveaways. If you would take a few minutes wherever you're listening, especially on Apple Podcasts, and leave a rating and review. Okay, now it's time for the short stacks. I'm super excited for you all to meet our guest, author Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. All right, y'all. I am here today with our episode of The Short Stacks with author Nana Kwame Ajebrenya, the author of our book for this week, Friday Black. Nana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, I'm happy to, to do it. Oh, well, we're really excited you're here. I, we're just going to dive right in. So the first question I always ask is, in about 30 seconds or less, tell us about Friday Black. Okay, I have, I have like a sort of pre-prepared Oh, you do. This. But, um, <laughs> not knowing you're going to ask me that, but just because it's a hard, it's a, it's a collection of stories, right? So it's a, it's kind of hard to sort of pin it down. And now all that preface has made it more than thirty seconds. So start the timer <laughs> here. It's kind of like if three people were sitting on a couch, and uh, the first one is like, you know, I think this is really nice. It's really comfortable. And the second's like, yeah, I agree. You know, great butt feel, good lumbar support. And the third is sort of like, I agree. It's it's pretty comfortable, but I think we're ignoring the fact that it's made out of corpses. I think um, I think the book is sort of like that. It's a collection of short stories. <laughs> that but, weirdly works. 
Yeah, but um, to, but to get to be more specific, uh, it, it's the stories that are concerned with the different ways people deny each other humanity, um, whether that be by uh, racialized lines or through hyperconsumerism, and also sometimes the stories just about family. Okay, well, it's definitely kind of like a couch of corpses and kind of like the second <laughs> part, but I I think the couch of corpses is good. That's a better way to say it. It that feels like weirdly right and it probably shouldn't, but that pro- speaks to kind of my next question, which is when you were growing up, were you always like the kid with the insane imagination in the group? You know, I think uh my group of friends that I grew up with, we all had like pretty good imaginations. We mm. used to keep stories up serially just orally like mm-hmm. serial stories that we keep up orally so like we kind of all had to be sort of trained in like remembering places and just trying to be interesting in our mind's eye and so I feel like um we all were sort of like that I think I I think actually compared to some of my friends I was a little bit more reserved about and like talking about like oh this is what I imagine and this is what I think of yeah because as I was reading the book I kept being like whoa, whose brain works like this? Like your brain is magical. Thank you. <laughs> that, that, that's nice. I mean, um, everybody's brain is kind of magical. I think I, mine is just, uh, luckily people are getting to see it right now. Yeah. It's just, it just, for me, your brain works really different than mine. So reading right. your words, I was like having this experience of I'm reading this story or these stories, but I'm also thinking like, wow, where did he come up with this? Cause a lot of the book feels like it's inspired by, um, current events like Trayvon Martin and other events that have kind of inspired the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's Uh been in the zeitgeist and in the air for, I don't know, like the last probably like seven or eight years at this point, that whole Uh movement. And Uh to think that this is kind of like what you created with that was really exciting for me as someone who is interested in that, but never would have thought to go the Finkelstein 5 direction or the Zimmerland direction. Yeah, I think uh, for somehow there's, I've just had a way of uh, the absurdity, the insanity. When I'm when I'm kind of hurt, I think as like a protection, I kind of go to sort of humor or mm. funny places. I mean, kind of whenever I'm feeling anything, but definitely when I'm when I don't know what to do, I think making a joke is sort of uh, my way often, or not exactly a joke, but point, saying something funny and um to my kind of horror, but not really horror. Someone someone recently posted a video on Twitter a long time ago of me that I had made sort of in response to Trayvon Martin being murdered. And I was like pretending to be this professor that was like, his name was like WT Fridgman or something. And it, his initials were like WTF, you know? Mm. And um, he was parroting Geraldo Rivera who had said, don't blame racism, blame this hoodie oh, for right. him being murdered. And it was like a very, it ended up being like a very ridiculous character. It was kind of funny. It was stupid. And, kind of crazy. I don't know. Something about that form helps me get my point across, I think, a lot easier. Right. A little satire. Yeah. And kind of mocking. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. So obviously I kind of gave a little bit of a, a little bit about the book, but where did your ideas come from this come from for this book? Like what inspired you to actually sit down and write it as opposed to kind of goofing off with your friends or making yeah. videos and stuff? Well, you know, I think the thing about writing is uh I like it a lot because it's free. Mm-hmm. When I made that video, I did it on my friend's camera, <laughs> my, one of my really good friend's camera. I can afford a camera. And I, I say it jokingly, but sort of honestly, like, you know, reading through the library is free. I had the kind of parents who would drop you off the library when it opened and kind of leave, pick you up when it closed. I, I found comfort in books from, from an early age. 
I learned to love them. And so, and I learned to writing to love writing in a similar way. Um, when I didn't like what's going on around me, I could write. And sometimes I didn't have my friends around me. So, you know, now I'm going to, it's just me and a piece of paper, um, or like one of my dad's legal pads. I think, um, for something about me is I do like, if I get committed to something, I like, to, I like something sort of tangible. So I like the feeling of, you know, I wrote a chapter today. I, the, the, the satisfaction of, of, I feel after having just written something is like really, really intoxicating, you know? Um, and so I, I, I just learn to love that feeling and I continue chasing with it. I start to see progress. I continue to continue. And luckily I got encouraged at the right places. I sort of just stayed with it. Yeah. Well, kind of in that same vein, how do you know when you're done? Um, you know, I think you have to just decide this is where at this point, as far as I can take it, because, you know, if I had a chance, I'd probably revise every single story in this mm. first book. I think you have to sort of decide about like where I'm at now as a person, where I'm at now as an artist, where this story is at now as a entity on its own and you know let it go off to school you know let it go off to be in the world you have, it's it's hard it isn't easy because you're trying to chase this feeling that this like sort of perfect this sort of perfectness perfection that isn't really real or i don't know that it exists exactly but you know you have to i just i think you have to sort of just tr- it's like sort of a leap of faith right well yeah. i guess and to that same end where did you start with this book because obviously it's a collection of stories so I'm assuming you know one story came before the other but how did you like I guess literally where did you start writing how did you start writing it and then also how did you decide what story would start Mm -hmm. the collection first I had the the very very first story I want to say I was in college I had just written a couple of stories that my professor Lynn Tillman liked and um, neither of those stories is in this book but um, I was like, you know, getting more and more serious about trying to be a writer. I'd applied to the MFA at Syracuse. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to try to get a chance to use my real life. Um, so I think I, I wrote the story in retail. Mm. A story very different from the one that's here. Uh, a version that's different. Then I think, as is the case with me and, and as kind of allowed this book to be, I also have like this other part of me that's really like likes to be a lot that like deals with difficulty in a way less literal way and a way more sort of around the bend kind of way and especially when I don't know exactly how to process sometimes I just mirror exactly what I feel like I'm feeling um as is the case with like the blackness scale you know I chose sometimes I just I'll literalize and concretize something that I'm feeling abstractly you know and so that's how you kind of get the blackness scale on the Fingal scene five but then I think the next story I wrote after the Fingal scene five was Lark Street actually Oh. And I and I think I wrote it and I sort of felt like, oh, no, this is dumb or you can't do this. And I just sort of left it alone. And then I spent the next couple of years in MFA sort of trying to figure out, do I write these kind of stories? Do I write that kind of story? Do I write these kind of stories? Do I write that kind of story? I asked, working with George, who was my thesis advisor for the manuscript that would become this book, you know, I kind of like tried to get him to tell me, like, which kind of writer should I be, you know? Mm. And he was, I was like, should I write like realistic, should I write like these realistic stories? Should I do these more surreal sort of weird satire stuff? You know, should I do this kind of that? And he was sort of just like, yes, <laughs> you know, I'm really glad for that because I think that's what, that's kind of one of the things I like about this book and, write about, uh, and one of the things I like about myself as a writer is 
Um, I, I don't feel bound to any one particular thing. I mean, it definitely comes through that way. In the interest of full disclosure, we already recorded the episode where we talk about your book. It's interesting to hear you say some of the things that we picked up on and then also hear you see, say things that I hadn't really thought about. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I wish I could go back and <laughs> have that conversation again. Oh, and, and it reminds me, oh, sorry. And I forgot to say the second part of your question, which was um, the Philistine Five. When I wrote the Philistine Five, though, that's when I sort of a bunch of back and forth congealed. And it wasn't it's probably I wrote it. It might have been the next, the very next story after those first two that I wrote, or at least started. It took me longer than any other story I've ever written to write. But um, I think when I got it, I was like, "This is something I can do." Me specifically, this is something I think that I can do that I don't think it, I, I don't think another writer can do. Yeah. And um, but I think, and more importantly though, like I I, I was in college when Trayvon Martin was murdered. Uh, me and my my friend, the same friend whose camera I borrowed to make that video mm. I was talking about earlier, he. Um, we made these pamphlets to sort of, I don't know, scream from the mountaintops about the injustice of Trayvon's um, being murdered. And uh, we made like 500 and we spread them around the campus in the middle of the night or like five, four, let's say three in the morning. And I went to sleep thinking like, you know, great, you know, I fixed racism. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I did this pamphlet anonymously, but I still felt really good about it. And um, when we, I woke up, you know, expecting to see like a whole big, a whole bunch of change. Everything was like, I wanted to, you know, some kind of big upheaval, nothing happened. And I didn't like that. But when I did write the Philistine Five story, I felt that same feeling that I, that is like, I wanted it to be out in the world, even if no one knew my name was attached. I thought it was like right. something important. And so for me, Philistine Five was, it really just had to be the first story in this book because I figure if people read one thing of mine and nothing else, I, I wanted it to be that story. Wow, I love that. So yeah, that's um, that's why it's the first story. Because you know, maybe they'd be like, "Well, that was dumb," and just put it down. <laughs> but at least you know, maybe I would have hit someone a little bit. Do you get a lot of good response on the Finkelstein Five? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a story that you know, your first. I mean, your first story in your first book. I think I do get, I, I do get a, good, a lot of good overt response to it. But in some ways, just because the way people consume content, I think that this book success in a lot of ways is that story success, you know, people sort of are quick to judge things. And I think that story starting the way it also sort of it frames the way people think of me as a writer. Now it's like, you know, I, I don't only do the surreal thing, but because of that, like that's what people focus on because that's the first story. And race is, is something I talk about explicitly. And because of the way I do that in that first story, it's almost like, I'm a race writer now, you know? Sure, but I hate that. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a limiting thing, and it's a, it's a constant decision. I think in some ways, I mean, I didn't realize how much that was going to be a thing. Right, But um, I don't mind it because I think the story um, is important. But, you know, if I would say the first story would have been um, Friday Black, the title story, I think people would read the whole entire book very differently. Totally, because it's what sets it up. It's what sets you up. But how did you decide to use Friday Black as the title then? I was strongly encouraged by my publisher to ah. not – I wanted to be the title. No. Um, they uh, – it was going to be called something else. It was going to be called How to Sell a Jacket. Okay. Which, again, like for me, is you know, it's a much quieter – but I think they were right. There was a lot of how-to books at the time, like literary how-to, like books okay. that are not how-to, books that right. use the how-to title. So I think it was like a way to step out. And I think my, my agent, Meredith Cafell, Simonoff I, – I mean I, I had thought of the idea of Friday Black prior to even – when it was a, when it was actually a manuscript, but I I went with How to Sell a Jacket, and then we ended with Friday Black after discussing it for a little bit. Interesting, a little bit of a stronger title. Yeah, punchy and aggressive. I mean, yeah, 
And it fills the cover really beautifully. Like the way that it looks on the cover is like the perfect size and shape. Yeah. And and by calling it the Friday Black thing, though, you kind of on a weird, like, I don't know, just on like a word level, you get some of the how to sell jacket thing, mm-hmm. that resonance of like, you know, consumerism and then just on a baseline level, I'm sure just on some people's in some people's reading, just the word black being the title is something. Totally. You know? That's so right on. Speaking of the cover, the cover is from another story, the imagery. How Mm -hmm. did you decide? Like, I'm just really fascinated kind of how this all came to be because I'm not really a huge uh, short story reader. I haven't been. But in the last year or so, there have been some really great collections, including yours, that have come out. And so now I'm thinking about short story collections and also essays in a different way Mm -hmm. because it's not one while you have mm-hmm. themes that are consistent, it's not one thing. It's a lot yeah. of things. So how do you yeah. draw – like how did you decide that was the story that would be right. the imagery? There's so many different great short story collections this, this year and I, and, I, and I like that you say that because I'm really happy to be like come out the same year as like Jamel Brinkley and mm-hmm. Afisa Thompson Spires. Mm. Oh my I think God, so good. Yeah, Heads of the Colored People I think is a beautiful <laughs> book. Like, so man, good. Yeah, they're, they're the real deal. And I'm, it's like kind of an honor to be out in the same kind of time as them. Yeah. As I'm both. But, um, you know, actually, again, I got super lucky. The The designer at Holden Mifflin read the book. I, he really liked the book. And that's what he came up with. Wow. And I saw it and I was happy right away. I, I, I had just driven from from the city to back up to Syracuse through like a crazy blizzard in a car that shouldn't be driving in the snow. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I saw the email from my agent, but I couldn't check it because I was like trying not to spin out. Um, all, all on the highway, and I got home. I opened the, I opened the like uh, the attachment that had the cover, and I couldn't. It was interesting because I didn't know what it was at first because you know your eye kind of wants to go straight to yeah. the middle, and I was like, I don't, I see like strings. What is this? And then like you know, I had this effect of seeing the full thing, and I really, really, really liked it. I really, really loved it actually. Um, yeah, I had that same so, experience when I had yeah. the book in my hand. I kind of had – I never really looked at the cover seriously. And I probably – the book came out in October and I think I got it in November. Like I've had it for a while and I just read it last week. And in the process of reading it, I got to that story and I was like, oh, I feel like there was a spider on the cover. Let me look at that again. <laughs> and then I was like, you're an idiot. How did you <laughs> miss that? Yeah, it's it's. It, I like it because it's subtle but also mm-hmm. bold. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. which And like for me, I feel like – the the guy's name is Mark Robinson. He really just did a great job. And um, with the lion, the spider thing, I like that as well because then besides the the resonances of the retail slash consumerism thing and, I don't know, the black thing, yeah. you kind of get some of the like sort of the heritage thing as well with the cover too. So I, I felt like um, – all together, I love – and like I don't, I, I don't love a lot of book covers, but I actually like got really I, – I know I got lucky with my yeah. book cover. I love it. Well, you might not have gotten lucky. You might have just had a really good team. <laughs> Mark Robinson yeah. just did his thing completely. Yeah. He really, really killed it. I, I love, love it. that. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. 
The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I do have to ask you, so I oftentimes will open up to my listeners to ask questions. And one of my listeners, Reggie, he had mentioned that he could kind of feel influences um, or callbacks to both Parable of the Sower and Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. And were, were you influenced by some, by some other writers that you kind of were giving shout outs to? Yeah, I think I, I think I seen. I think I know you're talking about the Reggie Reeves on Instagram. Yep. I think I've seen mm-hmm. him. Yeah, you know, I, I what's what's crazy is I wasn't consciously sort of paying homage to um, Song of Solomon, which is a book I love, and I think Toni Morrison is everything. Mm-hmm. But I, I know I had, I know I was influenced by like the Seven Days. I had to have been, you know. Right. But I didn't consciously do it, which is crazy because like when I when when I. By the time the book was done, and I was thinking, and I, I don't know, someone had brought, the, someone else had brought it up. One of my friends who had read it in MFA, and I was like, oh, you know, like sometimes you don't even know where you're right. getting your stuff from. But so that one for sure, that one not, 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 not so much. But that, yes, I, so I didn't do it consciously, but uh, I know I was influenced by um, um, the great Toni Morrison. Yes, that she's just like inherently part of you as a writer is kind yeah. of a nice thing to think about that you just are giving her love without knowing. I so I hope yeah. I am, you know, because of she is the best of the best. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. These are some of my favorite questions. One of which is who was the first person you let read this book? So not like your agent and the people who worked with you on mm-hmm. it, but like when it was done, who were you like, you need to read this? And not like George either. Um, yeah, not he, your advisors or people yeah. who kind of read it through the process, but more okay. like when it was finished. Okay, and, and I'm I'm pretty like close to the chest with 
with my writing stuff. It might have been like my one of my like more than my best friend, like my brother Danny. I might have. I think I told him. I think I sent him a good amount of it. Okay. Uh, if not all of it. And sometimes what I do is, you know what I mean? I think I like sometimes send different stories to different people. That makes but sense. But I want to say my friend Danny got maybe the first non like writer person to see the whole thing. That's very cool. I just always love to hear that because I know that sharing your work, obviously like your process, you know, you have a writer's group or you have advisors and things and they see you throughout the process and that's kind of their relationship. But then when it becomes ready to like share with other people who aren't as involved in the process, like that, that moment. Yeah, it's scary. And yeah. I, um, I mean, and everybody, yeah, it's, it's a scary process. And I mean, also for me, like I, I'm just generally like, I rather really, really wait a while before I get into that place. But I want yeah, it's a hard, it's hard to like put your stuff out there like that. Yeah, I'm sure. How do you decide to name your characters? Where do those names come from? Ah, that's so, it's so hard. I don't know. It's so hard. It's, I struggle with it. Sometimes I, well, one thing, so like with, um, with like Ama, the last, in the last story, mm-hmm. I just, I wanted a cool ass, like young girl that you couldn't make, like, you couldn't make her, uh, white basically, mm-hmm. you know, or I want her to be like her. She's like, you, by her name, you, you know, she's, she's like, she's got a name by her name. And it's not like necessarily a part of the story in a way that I think it like had to be, but like, it's just. I, it's a name that you maybe don't always see, but for me, I do. You know, my mm-hmm. name is Nana. My little sister's name is Ephwell. My older sister's name is Adoma. But and those kind of names rarely are in liter- the literature that isn't overtly exploring. I don't know, whatever kind of um, immigrant experience or whatever you want, whatever it is. Right. You know, so sometimes I do that. Other than that, I just struggle. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it has to be hard because you're like, oh, well, I don't want that person to think I'm writing about them, but like, I need a Becky. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes I do it actually, like on a um, to be like a little like shout out. I, I gave one of my friends a little shout out with his, with the last name and what in this book, you know. So nice. I have a friend who wrote a, his first book, and I my name is in it, and I literally was like, everybody, I'm famous, I'm in a book. So I'm sure your friend appreciated it. Why not give a because I I forgot to um, put him in the in the acknowledgments, and I uh, should have. So um, I, I like when I got when I got a revision chance, I changed this that name. So yeah, I love that. like that. that's awesome. <laughs> what kind of stuff were you were you Nana reading, listening to, watching while you were writing these stories? Like everything, because I was in the MFA. You oh, know, okay. I was I was getting exposed to. Um, I read Gail Jones for the first time. Uh, There's like so much stuff that I can't even think of like anything. I was reading my, like my, like my peers work a lot. I was reading, um, there's some books that I re- remember well from the time Texaco and another book called Corrigadora and just so much stuff. Like it's like stacks and stacks of stuff. If I get like my Instagram, I used to take pictures of the stacks of, oh, yeah. from, from, from that time. But, um, I was reading more widely than I ever had at any time before, you know, I read Black Boy for the first time then. Um, I read a lot of people for the first time, but I, I I was reading poetry for the first time really seriously. I was reading memoir more than I had previously. I had re- I got to, that's at that time is when I read the work of people who became my friends and mentors like Dana Spiota and Arthur Flowers and Bruce Smith and, you know, uh, people up up in Cuse. So yeah, I was I was reading a lot and also a lot of different things. 
That's so cool. And I'm sure that also informed kind of how you were writing, like that you might be influenced in a moment and be like, oh, let me try that. Let me throw that in. Absolutely. And um, yeah, like, you know, it's all over the place with it and really getting it. That's that's the first, that's when I first read, um, it's not the first time I read ZZ Packer, but I read, I agree read ZZ Packer. I reread, like I read Bolaño for the first time. I read a lot. Yeah, just a lot. I love that. That's so exciting. Uh, do you have rituals around food or beverage or just traditions or habits that you do around your own writing? Like when you uh, sit down to write where you go, what you're drinking, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Do people have cool food rituals? Because I, I don't know that I do. That's interesting. I wish I did. Some I just people had a... do. Or like like we had we had Crystal Hana Kim on who wrote If You Leave Me. Yeah, and I know. She um has she has candy around and she Ooh. drinks Earl Grey tea, but she uses the same tea bag all day. So she's like, by the end of the day, I have like it's basically a loosely flavored water. You know, oh, different cool. people have different things. I I don't so like I I don't, but what I tried to do for the first time last summer, and especially because um, is it Jamie Amberg was doing like the thousand words a day thing. Oh wow! And I was trying to like boost boost myself into like some kind of ritual because I don't I, I never I've, I've very rarely had one. I kind of I'm kind of like a binge writer. Like I won't write for a light, long time, then I'll go crazy and then write a lot, then I'll stop again. Um, but for this period of like three weeks, I was writing a thousand words a day, and I was doing I was trying to like be like all my wellness type stuff. So I was like. Meditating in the morning, I go to the gym. I found there's a, there's a spot in up in I was in, I'm up in Syracuse, in, um, and I and I stayed up here even d- during the summer. I usually come down to the, outside the city where I'm, I'm from, Spring Valley, Rockland County. Usually, when I don't have to be up here, I'm down there okay. or in or in New York City. But I stayed up here to do the writing stuff, and there's, I I just I did discover like this Roji Tea House, which is like kind of become like became my, like my secret spot because they stay open to like twelve, and I may even go there today. They had like a nice lemongrass tea. I I would go there late. And like I would, I think I would like bring my computer, my laptop, but not a charger, and try to go until like the charger kind of the my computer started dying or they closed, and I'd have like a tea with me only. It'd just be like a tea, and I'd be drinking tea. And maybe I get one, have them re-steep it once. But yeah, so like I don't have a big one, but it is nice if I can get that sort of. I tried to recreate that sort of tea house vibe in my apartment actually the other day, and I like burned some Palo Santo and like. Oh. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I do that whole thing. Well, I'm in California. I'm in LA, so it's very (laughs) you'd fit right in over here. That's the thing. Yeah, no, I'm I've I've become, you know, I got sweet grass, I got Palo Santo, I got sage now. Mm. Um, People have given me that stuff, and I've kind of like adopted that whole thing. But it's Syracuse here, so I'm jealous because we're we don't have the sun and we're all pretty sad. But um, no, thank you. Yeah, I do that, and and I'll do like my little ginger tea if I can. Um, I, I usually, ideally I won't be eating a lot of time. I'll be drinking something, uh, not too caffeinated, but a little caffeinated. I'm not big on coffee, but I'll do like the green tea. I used to go to Dunkin' Donuts. That's like, that, that, that's my old version. I used to live in a, on a street where there was a Dunkin' Donuts mm. and, um, I go into the corner and drink my green tea and maybe get like a blueberry, the blueberry donut or whatever it is. I lived in New York for a while, so I know I'm familiar with the Dunkin' Donut thing, but I'm a Californian. So it was like, that's a very specific part of my life, like Dunkin' Donut time. <laughs> yeah. You, and the West Coast, you guys take the donuts pretty seriously. Very it's like a serious. different thing. I didn't, I didn't know that until the first time <laughs> you guys, like, you, I know, yeah, you must look down on Dunkin' Donut donuts. Those are like, those are not real donuts, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like a very serious donut person, specifically me. Like donuts are one of my favorite. My brother says my motto is run and eat donuts because there was a period of my life where I was training 
training for a marathon and all I was doing was running and then being like, let's get donuts. <laughs> so yeah, he was like, you're just running, eat donuts, girl. No, I had no idea about it. I went to the Bay and like all the things that were open like late night were like donuts. And yes. it was like, where was were you thing. in Oakland? I was, um, I was, yeah, I was basically, I was at Berkeley and Stanford, but then I was like going to Oakland, like when we were, when we were at like late night and yeah. And you probably went to my donut shop on Lakeshore. I bet that's what you're talking about. I definitely did. Cause our Uber driver, one time we did an Uber pool and like, he like went the other people that came with us end up like these, this drunk couple that like, we have to go to so-and-so donuts. Yep. And, and, and the Uber driver was cool and he took us and they, they went and got some of the guts for everybody. And I thought that the donut was cool. I didn't see, feel like it was like worth all that. Well, but, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe it wasn't my place. <laughs> it was, I mean, also I didn't get like, there was like one specific donut that they thought was the best. Like they're like, Oh, this is the best one ever. Mm. And they got that one only for themselves. And then the, for us, we got like the more like pedestrian donuts, I oh. guess. They thought it'd be wasted on us. Anyways, <laughs> it was like a, it was a long ass, a long line, and um, in the middle of the night. So yeah, I didn't know the donut thing was so West Coast uh, such a big deal, but I could I've seen now that it is. Yeah, well, I'm from Oakland, and I had I had like my local donut store did the lo- did the donuts at my wedding. Like I didn't oh, outsource wow. it to like fancy donuts. I was like, no, no, someone can pick up the 150 of the donuts that I like from the teeny tiny store that I've been going to since I was in kindergarten every uh, Friday. Like it was very important that I had the correct. That's donuts. awesome. Yeah. I like Oakland a lot. I like that Bay Area. Especially the Bay Area is so great. Especially after being out in um, Winterfell up here. Yeah. I, uh, I really like the Bay Area. I don't envy you in late January in Syracuse as far as weather goes, for sure. It's brutal. It's, it's, it's brutal. You're, you teach up there, right? You're teaching yes. at Syracuse. Yes. What's that like? Like, what are you I teaching? And, and what do you, like, how do your students respond to you being like, oh, by the way, I'm just going to pop on to Seth Meyers. And like, by the way, my <laughs> book is everywhere. And I'm kind of like this amazing <laughs> new star of literary world. Last semester was the, I was teaching and like, that was, I, I, that was when, this, I mean, everything is very new, you know, for me, like right. my book came out still to the, it's came out in October, all this craziness, right. I, late October. So it hasn't been too long yet. But my students were, they're like, they're like my, my best cheerleaders, you know, oh. they were um, pretty excited on Seth Meyers, for example, I really did. I shouted them out in the group chat. They were so happy about that. <laughs> and, but, you know, I'm pretty low key about it. Like I, uh, especially up here, like during this semester, I try not to, um, I try to be really present with it, um, my class. And one of my students made a joke this semester about like, how come we're not reading this book? Have you heard of it? It's a great book called Friday Black. And I was like, because <laughs> I hate teachers who teach their own stuff and I will never do that, you know? What are you teaching? What's the class? Um, that class was a, a it's a reading, reading literature. Like uh, basically we get, we're reading a bunch of stuff and the way I'm kind of gearing it is sort of thinking about how work is that even may not seem inherently political, sort of political. Just we're reading a bunch of cool stories. We started off we just had a class. We read "Story of Your Life" by Ted Chiang, the, the story that Arrival is based off of, yes. the movie Arrival. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, we had such a good discussion. Mm. We had such a great discussion. I felt smarter. My brain kind of hurt from thinking about the nature of free will on time. It was really great. Then I teach a workshop where it's just like you know, students are going to do their own writing stuff. Then I also teach two sections of a uh, intro to creative writing, where it's poetry, fiction, and creative nonwriting. And so um, we just had a great classes in that class as well. We Red Skinhead by Patricia Smith, really intense, really dark poet, poetry. And then we read, listened to this talk by Roger Reeves, who's another great poet, uh, about like sort of what is the work of poetry in the, this age of sort of brutality and 
they had it. We just had a group. I feel we could clash. So I'm like kind of gassed about it. I love that. That's so great. Well, I just have a few more questions for you. One of which is since your book has gotten like some acclaim and some success and you've been really cool places and like that's, I, it makes nothing makes me happier than to see authors getting shine. Yeah. Like I feel like we don't treat our authors with nearly enough respect, but that's just yeah. my own high horse that I'm on. But who's like the <laughs> coolest person that you've heard from that's expressed interest in your book or someone that you know read it where you were like, oh my God, I can't believe so-and-so read my book. Hmm. There's a couple people now because of like the, like when you start floating your book into Hollywood world, all of a sudden now all mm. these people who like I can't think of I can't think of anyone, but I had a really good uh, lunch when I was in LA with Trevante Rhodes, and he was really dope. This is the actor who was um, just in Bird Box with Sandra Bullock, and he oh, was okay. also in, in also in Moonlight. Right, right. And um, he was just really dope, and like just put me on game about that about like the that area and the sort of the culture, and that was really cool. Yeah, I don't that that that, that was a that was a good one. But there's been some other people where I'm just like, whoa, you know. <laughs> So I don't want to say so I don't want to say anyone's name who I haven't confirmed it myself. Okay. You know, yeah. I see. <laughs> but I see. um But you've but, heard um, some rumors. I've heard people tell me about people who have read it and I'm just like that's something else. But but uh, but that said like, you know, um when I go on these events and I some kid I went to Texas and people have read it in Texas and I was just floored by that anybody reading in Texas, you know. Right. Um, so it's all good for me. I love that. Well, if you if you were going to recommend another book or a few books to people who have read your book and loved your book, what would you say? Like where, where, what direction would you point people? And I know there's a million directions you could go and there's no right answer here. I'm just always curious to hear kind of like what line Mm -hmm. you might take someone on if they loved your book. If you liked my book a lot, honestly, like I would say, check out Heads of the Colored People. I'd say that first. If you want like, I don't know, something in my sort of vein, uh, maybe check out, you know, uh, Pastorelia, George Saunders' book, uh, or 10th of December, actually, I guess. Well, I mean, like, after being with my book a lot, I had a lot of fun. These books are definitely not that similar. Fruit of the Drunken Tree mm. uh, by Ingrid Rojas Contreras. I just think it's a, I just think it's a beautiful book, as I think is The Incendiaries by R.O. Kwan. Oh, and there, and there, there by Tommy Orange. Yes. I think, uh, oh, and She Would Be King is another mm. one. So I think uh, just because those are books that I've been reading recently and I like them, so maybe that might mean that someone who liked my book might like those. Right. That's like a list of just great 2018 books that came out, right? Yeah. There's been, I mean, and put Crystal Hannah Kim right in that group too. Yeah. There's been so many amazing debuts by authors of color in 2018 that just like rocked my world. It's been so fantastic. I really, I mean, and I I mean it seriously. Like I really feel, oh yeah. Yeah. Add my sister, the serial killer, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like very, very lucky to be um, considered peers with these people. You know, the people that you mentioned, and I know them. Like, you, I know, like I've gotten to meet Crystal a couple of times. I know She's Ingrid. A doll. Such a dope, smart, great. I just loved person. her. But I have to be honest. Everyone I've spoken to, kind of of that group that you've listed, also um, Asia Gable was on the show, and I, I met talk- her too. She's dope. So She's dope. so cool. Just like yep. so many cool, interesting people, and it it's changed the way that I think about authors and writing because it, it's changed for me as someone who's a reader and not a writer, like pretty heavily not a writer. It changes <laughs> the way that I think about 
the work and just that right. like you right. and this group of people, these new young authors who are coming out that you all have something to say about the world that I live in, but that you're not separate from the world that I live in. Yeah. That yeah, there's like a humanity between all of us and that authors, because like it's kind of the same thing with actors. Like you think like, oh, actors are famous and they're different. And yeah. as someone, you know, authors are kind of like famous people for me as a book lover, but to mm-hmm. like actually connect with you all and recognize how you're just putting words you're just turning this into a certain kind of art and someone else might turn it into another kind of art, but that we're yep. all in the same space and how you guys create these stories has been just unbelievable. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And the thing you're saying, I felt it myself because I, because, um, I think, and that's why I kind of like to sort of like, it's funny because you go to these events and people sort of, I don't know, they try to like pamper you. Like, do you want mm-hmm. the tea? Do you want this? And it's like, I'm a regular, I'm cool, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just like everybody else. And I, I, I love that this group because they're so welcoming. And again, like for me, like my book came out a little later than all theirs. My book came right. out late in the year. You know, I think some of them had kind of known, got to know each other from earlier book stuff. And I, uh, you know, they didn't have to be so nice to me, I guess, mm. you know, like, uh, uh, like the, the, the people that I've met recently, like, yes, I mean, top to bottom, the people especially this year but but also like outside of that but like the people i've got to meet like on the road um this past year their kindness has been crazy and it's been really great for me because they it, even though we are especially all very regular people and that's what i i think it kind of gets forgotten the way we think about artists in general um the situation is very specific and they you, now you have a cohort of people who understand what you're going through and that's like invaluable yeah. you know so i um and I, yeah, so for me, like, I was like, oh my God, you're like a normal person. You're like a normal person. You're, <laughs> and you're like friendly and you're nice, you know? So um, that whole group of them, it, I, I, I feel very lucky to, I'm glad my book came out now, you know? Yeah. I'm, I feel really lucky about that. I feel the same way about my podcast because I've been able to talk to so many cool people. I'm like, I'm so glad I started this when I did with all these awesome books coming out. <laughs> yeah, you got a good group. Like, they're like, you know, they're cool. Like, they're genuinely good people. And I'm, you know, I just feel lucky. And, and, um, uh, so many of them, Nicole Chung, I want to put yes. her in that group too. Like, you know, just a yeah, bunch of, we're like, doing her book right alongside yours in February. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 yes so yes, I'm yes, pumped. Yes. I'm talking to her later this week. So I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And Nana's book is called Friday Black and we're going to be discussing it on Wednesday. So if you haven't read it yet, read it because we are spoiling it on the show. So make sure you read it. And then listen. Um, Nana, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. This was fun. Me too. Thank you. All right, y'all. That does it for us today. Thank you for listening to The Short Stacks. And thank you to Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya for coming on. And thank you to the folks at Mariner Books for giving us a copy of Friday Black. Join us this Wednesday for the Stacks Book Club, where we'll be discussing Friday Black. To help support the Stacks and earn awesome perks, go to patreon.com slash the Stacks or make one-time contributions at paypal.me slash the Stacks pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Kenny Sparks is our sound editor. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright. And our theme music is from Tegirgis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 